been there for some great, incredible moments there with our rugby sevens girls when they won that first gold medal. Um, you know, that was pretty special. But again, you know, I've been there with the athletes that got injured and couldn't compete. Yeah. I've been there with, you know, those that have had the worst performance of their life. Welcome to the Press Toward the Goal podcast. My guest on the show today has been to major sporting events all over the globe, including Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, and many other events, which I'm sure we're going to hear all about. Hannah Johnson, sports chaplain, how are you? Yeah, doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Hannah. Um, I know that we're going to kind of discuss what you do in your role as a sports chaplain and everything else that you do as well in the world of high performance sport but literally just finished some work that she's been doing we had to delay the podcast for an hour or so because she was busy tied up with things but uh, certainly have a varied role don't you Hannah a lot of different things that you do yeah absolutely there's no routine to my world whatsoever every day is a new adventure I'm coming alongside different athletes different people in sports I love it yeah sounds good I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that a little bit deeper as well but we're just going to get started with a few quick get to know you type questions if you're ready to go ready uh, what did you want to be when you were a kid um, a couple of different things I guess so at one stage I wanted to be a teacher then I wanted to be a physio. And then when I was 16, I wanted to um, basically kind of do what I do now. I sort of wanted to support um, Christians in sport and to come alongside and just bring a pastoral element to sport. And so that's, I knew that at a 16-year-old. I never knew what sports chaplaincy was or any of that sort of stuff. Um, I was still an athlete at the time. But, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, wow. So you're, you're living your dream. That's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Yeah, great. Uh, who was your sporting hero when you were growing up? Um, I had a couple, I guess. Um, I'm 40 this year, so my era, you know, if we look around, like the cricket and that sort of stuff was sort of your Steve Wars and those guys. Um, as a hockey player, Alison Annan was sort of the the one you you wanted to be like I myself was a goalkeeper um and so oh, sorry. um I yeah Ray Jimison was um the current Aussie goalkeeper then and so that's probably one that I sort of looked up to be yeah and that would have been a good era with the hockey roos winning the Sydney Olympics gold medal and everything around that time yeah absolutely very good uh, do you have a favourite piece of sports memorabilia or a piece of sporting equipment which you could never part with? Um, I have parted with, but I had a goalie smock, so one from an um, under-18 um, nationals event. But, um, yeah, I have since parted with it, but that stayed with me probably the longest out of any of my equipment. So you, I did pick up there you mentioned you played hockey and you obviously must have played to a relatively high level. 
Um, tell us about the role sport played in your childhood and your um, kind of adolescence. Yeah, so grew up in a very sporty family. Um, we sort of played everything and anything. Um, I, the youngest of four, I'm a twin, so the sort of the two of us, but youngest five minutes. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like we sort of, mum always put us into sport. Um, and then my older sister played netball and she, um, my mum, like didn't, wouldn't let us play netball though. And she found a hockey club. She used to play hockey. And so she enrolled us in that, which we were not happy with her about because all our friends played netball. But then we thank her because it was the greatest decision ever. Um, and so, yeah, basically my my childhood was a lot of hockey, a lot of swimming, um, sort of did sort of a bit of representative stuff in that as well. But then as we sort of kept growing, hockey just became a, a, a large part of our week. At one stage we were doing like 13 sessions a week and oh, really? all sorts of stuff. And so as a twin, my sister as well, um, so we played for the state and nationals year 2000. We were in the sort of first youth Olympics. Um, yeah, and then my career sort of ended a little bit early due to injury. Um, so my shoulders would pop out every time I would dive to save a ball, which you do multiple times. It's not ideal. <laughs> no, not at all. Um but yeah, so we sort of together played a lot. My I say I retired, my sister went on, played um for the hockey roos, was at Olympics and all sorts of stuff herself. Um and sort of I guess I just never left the sporting world. Yeah, fantastic. And you've got an involvement now in the sporting world through the chaplaincy and um, Sports Care Oz, which you run. Was faith always an important part of your life, even from childhood? Yeah, absolutely. So grew up um, in a Christian family and um, have, yeah, always, always been in relationship with Jesus, which is pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, even I guess through my sport, I had my twin with me. Um, and so there was always sort of two of us, um, which was helpful to have the, the support of another another Christian alongside. Um, but yeah, it's I guess Jesus is the central part of part of my life. He's the reason why I did play, um, and it was an opportunity to bring glory to His name and to I guess bless with Him through the talent and gift that He had given me. Um, and then yeah, when I wasn't able to keep playing, I um, faith still was always there, has never left. Um, and just sort of, it really helped me to refocus my, my attention in what actually I could do in sport, um, with my faith. And so, yeah, have been able to come alongside. So chaplaincy, I didn't know existed until 2012, but, um, people often ask me, when did I become a chaplain? And I'd actually say since I was about 16 and, um, it was kind of just the way I sort of viewed life and caring for my teammates and those around me and um, bringing that support to people. Yeah, fantastic. And when you were 16 and you said that you kind of took on a pseudo chaplaincy role there, um, was there some sort of trigger or something that kind of made you think, I want to pursue this as a career? You did mention earlier that um, it was something that you had kind of for a long time thought about being something you want to do long term? Yeah, so I guess um, it was sort of, I can't remember who or how or what, but somewhere along my journey, 
Um, I think it was sort of put to me of, well, you know, use your every day to, to bring Christ into the world. And so for me at 16, and I remember, as I say, I can clearly tell you when I, that I decided what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was at a church leaders meeting and um, was asked, lady asked next to me, you know, what do you want to do? And I vividly could tell her. And I think from then I went, all right, I'm in this team, not just to play, but to have, have purpose and to, um, my mum was a very caring sort of lady and so I think that was taught to me from a young age um, but would always just sort of come around other teammates or um, whatnot just in that sort of pastoral care mode again at 16 I didn't know what pastoral care was of but course. I think it had just been yeah it had been demonstrated to me through my mum through my church um, and so it's sort of what what I did towards um, and yeah just continually sort of did it. And what did that look like in, in, in a young age, being a part of a team? I imagine that you did mention that your sister was in the team, so there was another Christian, but it's not a, let's say, a Christian environment, so there would have been different people with different worldviews and um, quite a mixed bag of people there, I imagine. What did that role look like for you as part of the team? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think it was anything too crazy, but it was just, um, my teammates knew knew that me and my sister were Christians. Um, you know, we never hit it. We'd go to church. We'd often come late. I um, my had a Bible study that I was a part of that used to meet every week, but it was on the same night as one of my state trainings. And so I would, we decided sort of every second week that I'd miss training and go to RDG was what it called, Radical Discipleship Group, but um, to the Bible study. And so I guess the teammates saw that it was actually faith was important to us and that we'd sacrifice missing training, which would mean I'd have to do doubles of everything on the Thursday. Um, but I guess it sort of created opportunity for conversations. I remember at different times um, speaking with, you know, the girls, they're my friends. Um, and, you know, some would come and ask me about the Bible and different things like that. And um, so we would just sort of chat through that. Um Again, as a goalkeeper, um, so there was sort of me and another girl um, who were, I guess, sort of three of us that always vied for the state teams and stuff like that, but me and another girl generally always got them. And um, I guess I was even closer to, to seeing the brutality of sport, of missing out, of, you know, when there's only one position you can actually take on the That's field. That's right, it, yeah. It becomes a bit more real. And um, so I think, again, just that awareness of, you know, sport can be hard, it can be tough, it can be challenging. And so getting around the other girls when that happened, I remember some other friends who, you know, wouldn't make the state team. And I'd sort of, rather than necessarily just go and celebrate with everyone, I'd go around and just check that they were okay and that sort of stuff out of just a harder caring for people. And so, yeah, I think just little things like that, I'd um, always try to, you know, just even thank and, um appreciate our officials and that sort of stuff and so I think sometimes it was just there was something a little bit different about like me and my sister and um that created that curiosity that sort of would get the girls talking and asking and like why are you doing that you know and just creating those opportunities to share ultimately not in the language but you know of what kingdom principle is of what living yeah. living life for God actually modeling does that. Different. yeah yeah that's that's fantastic um, 
understand that uh, 2008, your sister was in the Olympic squad with the Hockey Roos in Beijing and something happened there just prior to the start of the Olympics that kind of changed your mindset a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, again, I mean, I think it highlighted the brutality of sport. So, um, yeah, she was in the village, in the games, not just in the squad, but in the actual team. Um, and about two days before the opening ceremony, they had a um, trial game against Argentina, and she um, tore a hamstring, which... Anyone that's sort of been an athlete for long enough has probably done. Um, it's not a, a major injury. It's not a career-ending injury, but um, a bad timing injury. And so Absolutely. she was given 20, yeah, she was given 24 hours to prove her fitness. Without a miracle, you're not doing that from a torn hamstring. Um, and that miracle didn't come. And so she, in her words, was evicted from the village, um, you know, put up in a hotel by herself in the middle of Beijing. Um, wow. You know, we we talk about the brutality of sport. Um, and so, yeah, I guess for me, obviously, that was very close to home. It was my sister. Um, but just uh, going, I don't want anyone to ever have to have to go through that alone. Um, you know, to have to kind of just, yeah, experience and manage all that without, without that support. Um, you know, when we look at a team you know you've got the new player comes in and so the manager is helping ensure they've got all the right uniform and everything's going good there you've got the coaches now reworking all the set plays you've got um you know your support staff your physios your doctors making sure all the girls are ready and then you've got this girl who her whole world came sort of crashing down overnight um sitting by herself in a room and it's not really anyone else's responsibility because they are focused on the actual team that's there. And that's, yeah. I guess that's kind of why I do what I do in major games chaplaincy in, um, in being at those events for, for some of those crucial moments, um, you know, but it's not just being that random person because there were random people that were there um, to support her, but she didn't have relationship with them. And so that's kind of what I do, I guess, with my life is um, I travel a lot to be at all our sort of domestic national events to build those relationships to be that familiar face and that friend so in those peak moments of an olympics or something like that it's not oh there's a chaplain called hannah you should go and speak to but it's hey han you know her she's here if you want to chat and just makes it more personal and um i guess yeah reachable and accessible yeah, how, how do you build relationship in those sort of circumstances? I mean, I understand that there would be groups of people that you spend a lot of time with, but there may be other events where there's people you're not overly familiar with. How do you build relationship with, with that, that sort of situation? Yeah, it's a good question, and there's no one answer for it other than the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> but I guess, yeah, so it's about, like, I mean, when we talk about chaplaincy, it's really about being, it's a ministry of presence, so being present amongst people. And so I look for those opportunities to be present. Now, a lot of our chaplains will be, you know, chaplain of a football club and turn up to training once or twice a week and the players are all there, um, which is a little bit, I guess, more accessible and easier to do. Um, when I look at what I sort of do, my athletes, um, you know, I work across all our sort of Olympic, Paralympic sports. 
we've got athletes that are all over the world training, competing. I don't get to turn up to one place to see them all. Um, and so, yeah, I look at ways to be present at as many events as I can. Um, but then also through social media, um, sort of presenting myself in their world, sending them messages, WhatsApp chats often. Um, and so, yeah, just sort of looking for those opportunities to be present in their life. But then even at the events, um, yeah, it's trying to just be helpful. And, you know, that might be taking photos if they want photos. That might be um, often, you know, giving them, lending them my portable battery charger for my phone. Um, you know, just random little things, trying to find the needs they might have and just to help um, fulfill them and give reason for that connection. Um, yeah. Ultimately, just to love and care for them with no agenda because I think so many people especially when we talk about our high profile athletes and our elite sport high performance sport lots of people want something from them and I'm um you know I'm there for nothing I don't want anything back from them just there just to care for them to be that safe space um and sometimes it'll take years for people to engage that's okay because I'm not there with a time agenda or with any agenda other than just to love and care for them yeah, fantastic. Um, so I guess that there's no real kind of structure when you attend an event. And well, actually, before we look at that, t- can you tell us about some of the events that you do attend? Obviously, there's the high profile events like the Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, World Championships for swimming or whatever else it may be. But what what does your role as a sports chaplain entail in terms of where you may have some sort of presence? Yeah, so every event's slightly different and the role that I fulfill can actually be slightly different. So if we look at something like Commonwealth Games, so 2018, I actually um, helped the organising committee and I sort of managed the whole faith and um, support centre but we sort of caught it back then. Um, and so, yeah, I guess there was a lot more structure to that event and sort of a more very well-defined role in sort of what I did. Um, we then go, if we go just back to last year, to Birmingham Com Games. Um, so then I was one of the international chaplains that was in the village. Um, and those games, we had a um, faith and wellbeing centre um, with the language sort of put around it. And so something like that, I'm rusted on at different times. In We had three different villages because the athletes were spread across three different places. So, yeah, sort of spending my time in between those. Um, we have an actual centre, an actual building that they can come to. Um, and so sometimes I'm in there. Other times I'm sort of roaming around, connecting with some of the athletes that I already know, have relationship with from across the country. Um, then if I'm not rusted on in the village, I might be out at some of the events. I might be catching up with friends or family of the athletes um, or even the athletes themselves. Um, I think actually the photo that you put up of me um, on the post was um, I was one of the drinks um, people for the marathon <laughs> for our Aussie girls, awesome. um, guys. Um, you know, so I can I do a million different sort of things at those events. Um, we had an Oceana um, table tennis event the end of last year um, in Melbourne. And there, you know, we've got people from all over the Oceana, um, you know, and so I was driving some of them around, doing some airport runs. I was 
um, you know, chatting with them, helping them understand what well-being is and, you know, chatting through mental health and stuff like that. Um, some of the athletes um, that were more spiritually inclined and um, there was, you know, a bunch, especially coming from the Oceania region that were Christians. And so, you know, connecting and helping put together some Bible studies if that's what they were wanting. Um, you know, had another Muslim athlete who helped them find a mosque to go to. Um, you know, so it looks, it looks like a million and ten sort of different things. Um, but, yeah, it's just helping people ultimately. Yeah, there's no real routine by the sound of things. No, and we're there as guests of the, the event, and so we work within the parameters they give us. Um, yeah. You know, and for some events, I'm not allowed to be there officially as a chaplain. So I'm in the stand cheering the athletes on. I'll often send a lot of them messages before they compete. And even, you know, the ones that aren't there competing, they're the ones that, you know, I talk about when I go to a com game. Well, a whole lot of my time is spent with all the athletes that wish they were there, that missed out. And so I'm on social media, That's I'm true. on text messages, I'm on phone calls trying to, you know, remind them that actually their performance, you know, doesn't give them their worth. We, um, this last Com Games, you know, we had some athletes who um, had been doing the Commonwealth Games for two decades. They'd done five. And this was the first one they hadn't. You know, they're used to the world cheering their name on. Um, and they're a blimp in the sky. No one's even given two thoughts about them, you know. So it's actually um, sewing into them and helping them understand their worth. Yeah, well... It's something that I certainly hadn't given any thought to. It's almost like your your role and your network grows exponentially over time because the more kind of engagements and touch points that you have in sport, the more individuals that are connected there. And, of course, over time, as you're building relationships, the relationships in some instances sound like they don't come to an end point. There's not an expiry date based on participation at a major event it just keeps keeps kind of continuing in your capacity as a sports chaplain or even as just somebody who cares about the athletes yeah that's absolutely correct so again it's not you know I guess the fact that they're involved in elite sport is the, the introduction but it's not you know you don't have to um, meet a standard or keep playing for me to be in your world still and I think that's one of the real differences in sport as I've mentioned, sport is very brutal. Um, you know, you're only worth as much as your last performance, really. Um, so, you know, you'll get dropped from teams. You'll, um, yeah, you know, get um, removed and all that sort of stuff. And that's the way sport sort of is. But that's where I try to go against that tide that I don't care if you're competing, if you've made the, you know, the top 11 or whatever, depending what sport we're talking, top 13 yeah. or um, you know, your worth doesn't change according to the position you hold within your sporting club or your team. You're still a child of God, ultimately. You're still a human. And, um, you know, we have that hashtag of human first. That it's actually you are a human first. And so you'll always remain a human. And so I'm there for you. You know, now the way our worlds collide might look a little bit different. Um you know, that we don't necessarily run into each other at these events if you're not there anymore. But um, I'll try my best to still reach out, to still connect. Um, and, again, that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> helps me um, to think of those different people and to 
to look to be be present in their world at different times and they know hopefully that um yeah that I'm always there for them uh, how, how do you get involved with um, events is is it something where people are reaching out to you you've built a bit of a presence now as this sort of person who who does this chaplaincy and well-being type thing at major events or is it is is it run through sponsorship programs with event organizers how does your presence come about at these places yeah so it's all um all very different again um so yeah there's some who they'll reach out and ask me so i remember um well, i did commonwealth games 2018 um obviously and then we had the invictus games um here after that and so the coordinators of invictus knew of me from the commonwealth games and then they reached out and asked if i could um help them figure out what this whole space looks like and to sort of get some volunteers and connect and um, help sort of make that happen so you know we sort of do that then there's other events where i'll contact the event organizers and go hey not sure if you know what chaplaincy is this is what it is i'm going to be around if i can be of assistance for you let me know um you know and so yeah that everything in between and again for me even if they don't want formally chaplaincy at an event that's okay i'm still going to be there for the athletes i'm not there because i have a role that entitles me to be there i'm there because i care so it doesn't matter what that looks like um i'll still sort of be around the event but again working within the parameters they allow yeah of course and like you've probably indicated already the parameters are different depending where you are what the event is and everything as well there's a kind of national organization or a national body which uh events and maybe sporting bodies would go to if they were looking for um sports chaplains yeah absolutely so um yeah sports chaplaincy australia is sort of i guess the, the um main spot to sort of link into um so whether it's people wanting to become sports chaplains or events wanting um chaplains or as i say clubs so we um actually there's such a demand across the country you know we've got i think it's football new south wales who have got 770 clubs and they're wanting chaplains in every one of their clubs rugby wow. in queensland rugby actually across australia is wanting chaplains in every one of their clubs netball is on board you know so there's um, so much need to have chaplains there and so SBA have really come alongside sport in helping them understand what a chaplain is and then they're now coming alongside the church and helping sort of recruit and equip and train um, and ultimately place chaplains right throughout. Um, yeah, and then I guess anything sort of event-based, they sort of send off to me because that's kind of the area I sort of focus on. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, with the chaplaincy organisation, is that a denominational thing? Is it a Christian organisation? Is it just religion kind of under a broad umbrella? How does that work? Yeah, so um, it's a Christian organisation. Um, it's non-denominational. Um, so actually what we've found is Christians are the only ones um, really globally that are actually in sport looking to do chaplaincy to provide oh, that care wow. yeah, now when we have like a major games or something like that we will have for a faith center we will have religious leaders from different faiths that are there to help provide and meet the needs of the athlete um but what we've found is yeah a lot of the other faiths are kind of only really there if it's about them delivering their religious elements whereas as chaplains 
we're actually there just to care for everybody, no matter what faith they are. Um, if there's Christians and they want a Bible study and that sort of stuff, we'll do that. Um, but that's not the, you know, the reason we're there. And so a lot of our no. chaplains might not even have a single Christian in their world and they're still there, still doing chaplaincy because it's not reliant, I guess, on providing that faith side. It's just that we can provide that faith side. But what I think it goes to show is the heart of Jesus that it's about caring, it's pastoral care, it's loving people no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, um, and ultimately just bringing the hands and feet of Jesus to people. Um, you know, we often say it's bringing the grace and mercy of Jesus and meeting them where they're at. That's fantastic. Um, you, you have your own organisation as well, I understand, Sports Care Oz. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Sports Care um, is there to, um, yeah, I guess kind of the niche part of what I do. So um, in looking at major games chaplaincy, um, and so that's the key focus, I'd say um, Sports Chaplaincy Australia, I credit train places our chaplain support, so I'm a part of them. But then this is purely sort of focusing on those events and so working, I guess, globally around that. Um, we then have sort of our holistic well-being arm. And so that's really looking at the, ultimately what a chaplain does in the emotional, mental, spiritual um, sort of sides of aspects of our lives. Um, and so being able to create different resources, we do different programs in schools and with businesses and that sort of thing, churches. And just helping equip people in all, ultimately we add physical into that, so all four sort of spheres of their life there. Um, then we have the Christian athlete. And so when I'm in an event or doing something as a chaplain, I'm there for everybody, no matter what faith, no matter what they believe, no faith, whatever. Um, but then I do do stuff specifically with Christian athletes. or We say athletes, but ultimately we're meaning people in sports. Um, yeah. So we work with um, coaches, with administrators, with parents, with um, partners, husbands, wives, whatever that looks like. Um, and so sort of through that arm, we um, do different, I guess, discipleship groups, Bible studies. We um, sort of do a daily devotional type plan. Um, we do some programs in schools. So around the Tom Games, we um, had a whole lot of, um, the athletes that were competing that were Christians sort of share bits of their, their testimonies and what's yeah, important to great. them. I guess make the athletes more um, accessible to the next generation, to inspire them, to encourage them, to help them know that actually, you know, you can achieve what you dream to, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and for doing a bit more stuff in that this year as well around schools. But, um, yeah, really just empowering people in sport that are Christians. Yeah. How, how can somebody get involved if they did want to kind of make a contribution or um, be invested in sports, care Oz and yourself personally, what you're doing? Yeah, so we have um, a website, sportscareoz.com. And um, ultimately jump on there and there's so many ways for people to be involved that can be financially, that can be through prayer, that can be signing up to be sort of a part of our, our team, one of our members, um, and that's sort of coming along, along the journey with us. Um, 
And so, yeah, if you jump on, there's a whole lot of um, whole lot of different ways for people to to engage, um, to come on that journey and help support what we're doing. I think lots of people are always, oh, we love that you're there. We love that you know that there's that voice um, that sort of in that world. Um, and it is, it's great, but it does take a lot of sacrifice, and you know, it yeah. does cost some money. So, um, yeah, we'd love to see people sort of get on board. Yeah, fantastic. And um, what what you're kind of describing there in um, what goes on in the background, a lot of people have this idea of professional and high-level sport being quite a glamorous sort of thing, but it is a lot of sacrifice, not just for athletes, for anybody involved, isn't it? You do it for the love of what you're doing, not for the, for the rewards. Ultimately, there is a reward, but it, it's not the reason why you do it day-to-day, -day, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we look at most our Olympic sports and Paralympic sports in Australia, most of the athletes are unfunded. Um, you know, unless you're getting on those podiums, you're pretty much not earning any money. Um, you're probably paying more than you're making. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and so that's where we're, we're coming alongside to help serve and specifically in those sports because that's where it's sort of lacking and that's where that need is. Um, I remember when, when I got back from... Rio Olympics and um, speaking with a what was that so pastor um, gentleman and he's like oh Han I want I want your job and I'm like yeah you know it's great I travel across the country pay my own way I um, you know every weekend I'm at a different sporting event somewhere around the country I then head over to you know Brazil pay my own way um, you know, it's great. You can come and say, oh, I don't want to do all that. I just want to turn up and go to the Olympics. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you don't get that opportunity without actually doing the journey. Um, you know, and even if I didn't go to the Olympics, I would still be doing it all because it's actually yeah. about the people, not about, you know, that glamour or that so-called titles or whatever. Yeah, that's good. Um, are there any particular moments or events or anything that stand out during your time uh, as a chaplain where you can kind of look back and say, wow, I've really made an impact on this individual or the, at this particular circumstance or maybe at this event more broadly? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, often when we look at the impacts we make, I think often we don't actually realise that they are impacts in those moments. Um, you know, what can seem just like a, anything I do, I've done it, you know, hundreds of times. And then, you know, you discover that actually that, um, you know, years later it might be that, oh, that actually, you know, I had one athlete who was really suicidal and, um, you know, was got to an event and from another another country and had um, sort of, I'd known, known them and known sort of some of their world a bit more. And so sort of the second day of them being in the village, they'd come up to me and, um, sort of asked if we could chat and so we did and they basically yeah said that they were suicidal and you know so engaged the we had a um psychologist on like part of the event that was there and so engaged them in the conversation and we you know wanted to make sure that they were actually safe to go back to their room and mm. all that sort of stuff and um you know then every day I would meet with this athlete and um you know I'd be calling and throughout the day and you know it would be they're getting up to compete and you know they hadn't been um competing very well they've been training good but hadn't been competing well and 
you know, we just did some simple breathing exercises and literally they're in the call room and, or not the call room, but at the, the event um, and calling me like, I, I'm panicking, what do I do, you know? And so just sort of, I guess, talking them down and, um, you know, sort of through that, building that relationship and, you know, lots of people I think go, oh, that's the moment of impact. But for me, yes, that was a great moment, but it was actually, you know, the years that had gone before with the other yeah. athletes that had built the credibility for that person to feel like they could actually come. Yeah, ploughing the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, yeah, often we we look at some of those moments and go, oh, yeah, it was actually not the moment we thought was the moment. It's actually the seeds that are being sown. It's those other things, you know. Been there for some great, incredible moments there with our rugby sevens girls when they won that first gold medal. Um, you know, that was pretty special. But again, you know, I've been there with the athletes that got injured and couldn't compete. Yeah. I've been there with, you know, those that have had the worst performance of their life. Um, I had one athlete who there was a lot of expectation on and had not really performed as I guess was expected of them. And I'd sort of, um, after they'd competed, I'd gone down to where they were to sort of see them. And there's a whole lot of people in between me and them and I couldn't really get to them without sort of interrupting all these people. And, you know, when people often ask me, what do you do as a chaplain? Well, I ask God, what do you want me to do in this moment, really? And so I'm like, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do? And um, basically just felt like he said, just, just smile at him. And so I looked at him and we sort of made eye contact from, you know, 30 odd metres apart. And I just smiled and kind of like, okay. And like, sort of give me a nod and put his head down. And I, um, I kind of didn't think much more of it. I messaged him again a bit later in the day just to check in on him. The next day his mum comes up to me and gives me the biggest hug and I'm like, Hi, she's like, thanks so much. And I'm like, oh, like, what for, you know? And she shared with me that he, um, you know, he finished that event and he, he, he hadn't done what was expected of him and he felt like he'd let the country down. He felt like he'd let um, sort of his training partners down, his coach down, his family down. And she said that when he saw me and I smiled at him, he realised he hadn't let me down. And so if he hadn't let me down, maybe he hasn't actually let the entire world down. Wow, that's great. Um, and again, if you ask me if that moment was something for me, I smiled at the guy like I did nothing, you know. Yeah. So I think it's so often it's the unseen, it's the, the you know, it's when, when our heart is for people, God will use it and yeah. um, he'll create the moments. We don't actually, I guess, create those moments. It's what he does with them. Yeah, that's fantastic. I guess that um, kind of on that line of thought it, it's kind of hard for you to measure what success looks like in your role in the day-to-day -day. yeah it's always a fun one when especially when we talk about funding and people are like what are the kpis what is it and <laughs> you know it's um faculty. it's what you can't measure what we do you know we talk often yeah. about sort of how many seeds are sown and you know that's often I think in a Christian world people think oh how many people did you speak to about Jesus and I'm like well might not have been any but I've shown a whole lot of people what his love looks like that's right um you know and I think it again you know we look at 1 Peter three fifteen. if we ultimately live in a way that causes curiosity that causes them to ask why we're living the way we are then be ready to speak up and tell them 
Um, and so for me, I guess that's sort of what chaplaincy is about. And for like, it's a successful event, even if I've not spoken to anyone about Jesus, even if I've hardly had much connection with people at all, because if I've turned up with the intention, you know, of being present, of again, bringing that grace and mercy of Jesus to people where they're at, that's actually what the job is. The yeah. results aren't mine, they're God. Um, yeah. I had one girl who um, was part of a team and I was actually able to turn up sort of most weeks to their training. And um, my goal was that she would actually say hello to me by the end of it, you know. Every week I'd go up and like say hi to everybody and I'd kind of just get a grunt from her, if anything. And um, I kind of felt like I, you know, had gone nowhere with her. Um, and then... Yeah, it was probably the end of the season. I don't think it was out of season. And she had her world sort of turned upside down. And she called me. I was sort of the first person she called. And I'm like, you don't even talk to me. Like, (laughs) you know, and so we did a bit of journey of that together. And then I sort of asked her one day. I was like, so, you know, we're now months on and sort of through this sort of crisis in her world. And I was like, can I just ask why? (laughs) Like, you've never spoken to me. Why did you actually call me? You know, and she's like, well, because even when I was rude to you and you, and I didn't speak to you, you would still be there. You would still turn up. No, like it was, it didn't change That's what you would brilliant. do. Um, you know, and so again, I would have said that that was a fail, um, you know, before yeah. that time that she called me. And so that's where, yeah, putting putting measures on what the impact we do as chaplains, it's immeasurable because a lot of it we don't realise for years later and often never realise. Um, but it's, yeah, it's sowing those seeds and trusting it to God. Yeah, fantastic. It's every seed's an incorruptible seed. That's brilliant. I, ha- I had a uh, listener question uh, come through for you. I put a call yeah. out on social media and I have one from Colin Coulthard on Instagram who asked about the worst injury that you've seen in your capacity of a chaplain and how you kind of manage that situation. Yeah, the worst. I guess it's always according to who. Um, you know, so I've seen many career-ending injuries, um, which obviously for the athlete is the worst that could ever happen. It may not be the most brutal. Yeah. Um, I I have seen some pretty brutal ones, though, of bones through skin and all that sort of fun stuff. Um, I myself have quite a, quite a journey with injury, with especially head injuries. I... Um, I've been knocked unconscious way too many times. I had stitches or glue in my head sort of over 250 times. I um, actually have a metal plate in my head now. Um, And so I guess head injuries for me are what I probably put near the worst. um, Because then, you know, um, I myself had some brain damage and all sorts of fun and games. Um, And so, yeah, sort of seeing... Seeing some of those injuries is um, where, yeah, like they're going to be life-changing. Um, you know, again, seeing some spinal injuries, which absolutely life-changing, um, you know. So, but then, yeah, the blood and guts ones, like I actually quite enjoy that stuff. I take away oh. the person from it and I'm <laughs> like, let's see how the body really works, <laughs> you know. What What's um, your like, role sort of in that situation where one of these major injuries occurs? Yeah, so again, depending depending on the event, depending on the person. So, you know, I'll 
jump in an ambulance and head to the hospital if that's what I'm needing to do. Um, you know, if it's towards the end of an event and players are then heading home and managers and coaches are heading home, I might stay around in that country, yeah. that city for a little bit longer until where the family can get there or they're able to be able to fly home or whatever that sort of situation looks like. Um, and then, it, you know, again, in sports, you sort of when you're injured, you're doing team rehab. Um, and so it's, you know, we talk often about your sort of your community and in sport as an athlete, you kind of have an instant community, instant friends because it's your teammates. It's those that you're spending so many hours yeah. a day with. Um, when you're injured, you're removed from that group. That's um, right. You know, you can't go and do full training. You can't, you haven't just lost the ability to move and to do the training, which is, often what fuels you but you've also lost your community you've lost those people that you hang out with you know um again if you're dropped if you retire that your whole world sort of changes because yeah. the convenience is no longer there and so yeah around those situations you know i said um when i was sort of a little bit more in brisbane i was on um, the aflw the lion's girls chaplain okay. you know and so i'd be, be there at training and um, you know, the girls all head out and then team rehab jumps on the bike. They go for their walks around the field. And so I would jump in those walks with them. I'd hang out near the bikes with them, chatting with them, um, trying to, again, to tell you're still valued. You're still a part of this. Um, so, again, yeah, every environment's slightly different um, as to what, what sort of role I do. Again, if they're not family there, then I'll sort of, I guess, I'm still in a bit of that role. Um, if family's there, then sometimes it's getting family away from the athlete because they're driving them crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, all, all dependent on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, obviously in high-performance sport, there's the pressure of results. It is a results-driven industry, and we've mentioned that it's it's quite brutal at times. There's also injuries there. Is there kind of a theme which comes through as being something that you would say is the biggest issue athletes are confronted with these days? Um, if we're talking around injury, I mean, I guess it's dependent on sport. Um, you know, but like mental health is, is a yeah. injury as well. Yeah, um, of course. You know, and so that's a pretty, pretty key thing of, you know, again, we don't want to just have great athletes. We want to actually have great humans. Yeah. Um, and so finding that balance of how do you give everything into your sport but also remain human? Um, and what does that look like? You know, we, I guess the media sort of um, scenario around a bit of swimming um, last year was highlighted some of that um, sort of challenges. And, you know, we can as you know spectators as the as the country expect these results but then kind of expect robots expect you know to be able to say whatever we want to an athlete and it's remembering hang on they're actually human you know it's that's it um when you're yelling abuse to that people they actually go home with that abuse you know it's not just because your team lost or won or whatever they're still human yeah. um you know and so it's, it's understanding i think yeah again that holistic way we're built and you know to physically be at full capacity we actually need to emotionally mentally 
and spiritually, you know, be be moving in those right directions and having those sides of our lives sorted as well. Yeah, that's good. I uh, finish every conversation with the same question, and I'm going to ask you now, how does Hannah Johnson want to be remembered? Um, someone that loves Jesus and loves people. Yeah, and you do that every day in your in your capacity of um, sports chaplaincy and athlete care. Yeah, that that's the aim. <laughs> yeah, I think you described that to us when we when we looked at what you do day to day. That was pretty much what you described: being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing God's love to to the people that you you're around in that environment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's. Is the best thing. So if I can, you know, reflect him to others, um, that's that's the goal. And then what they do with that is up to them. That's not my job. Um, yeah. That's between them and God. Fantastic. It's been great to chat with you, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries at all. All the best with the rest of um with the rest of this year, twenty twenty three. Any big events on the horizon? Yeah, so always got big events happening. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, where to begin? I guess, uh, I mean, sort of we've got World Para Athletics. I'll be heading over to Paris um, with that. We've got the FINA, so or World Aquatics. So you're looking at swimming, diving, um, artistic swimming, um, high diving. Um, and water polo, we've got those championships as well. We've got athletics championships. Wow. Um, we have here in Australia the Soccer World Cup Women's. True, um, yes. Football, I should call it. Um, which the Matildas are actually playing even this week, um, some games. But, um, yeah, and then I guess sort of for the region we're in, we've got the Pacific Games at the end of the year in the Solomon Islands. So sort of it's a big event for all the Oceania nations. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you're going to be busy. very good thanks for your time hannah if you've enjoyed this episode of the press toward the goal podcast take a minute to give us a rating and review on the podcast app you're currently listening make sure you follow us on instagram where the handle is press toward the goal all one word you can also find us on youtube where unedited video recordings of the conversations featured on this show will be posted. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to sharing another conversation with you soon.